0: श्री Guru गुरु परंपरा की जाए, गौर भक्त बिंद Welcome everyone, good evening, and we will now proceed. We have uh, celebrated the day beginning early in the morning with kirtan, accompanying the auspicious arati, for the waking of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And following that, we had some brief discussion, which then carried us into the morning, where we again gathered and discussed further, and in particular about how and the context in which Mahaprabhu introduced the Mahamantra, which he has uh, by which he has referred to the. Um, Nam mantra you all know it hari krishna hari krishna 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 hari 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 ram hari ram 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 hari hari and something about the efficacy the glory the virtues the power the force the charm of krishna nam mm. what's appropriate given this was the method to his uh, madness and the method by which the, that he's shared his dispensation with uh, with the world mm. and so then we've gathered again for the auspicious Abhishek uh, accompanied by Hari Kirtan and now we'll proceed with a brief discussion further um, about the uh, theological uh, significance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with regard to an interesting uh, issue Um, the Transcendence and the imminence of the Godhead, and some tension that arises there uh, with regard to compassion. Hmm. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, and of course the talk, the discussion will be followed by Artik and Mahaprasad, which hmm. will complete the program for the day. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has been, uh, as most of you are aware, re- referred to um, considerably. Um, with regard to the measure of his compassion. Rupa Goswami penned a beautiful verse um, that um, speaks about this, and beautiful with regard to the way it speaks as well about his uh, name, his form, his qualities, and his lila. Namo maha bodhanya. Krishna prema pradayate. Krishnaya Krishna. Chaitanya namani goratisena maha. He says his quality is this that he is maha bodhanya. Mm-hmm. means magnanimous, generous, and maha means great. So, greatly magnanimous. Arguably, this quality of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's uh, it speaks to, again, as I'm saying, uh, central to the talk, uh, his compassionate nature. Mahabala Naya is his quality. Krishna Prema Pradayate. Giving Krishna Prema, that is his Leela. Hmm? Mahabala Naya Krishna Prema Pradayate. Krishnaya Krishna Chaitanya. His name is Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm? And namne Gaurat His form is... Uh, not dark like Krishna's, but golden. Hmm? And the golden complexion of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, of course, as we know uh, otherwise from the theology, is is caused by the upsurge of the sentiments of Radha, the Mahabhav, the great ecstasy of love for Krishna, embodied in Radha, whose complexion is golden. Tapta-kanchana, gurangi, as she's been described mm-hmm. so a peculiar appearance of Krishna mm-hmm. in the ecstasy of his, his arguably, uh, without a doubt I should say his greatest uh, admirer mm-hmm. his greatest devotee, Radha, mm-hmm. yeah. who is also said sometimes described to be the compassionate nature of Krishna Mm-hmm. So, what about the compassionate nature of krishna mm-hmm. the uh, and uh, his his magnanimity and so forth? The issue that I would like to discuss in brief is one with regard to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one that is um, uh, relative to uh, welcome to all uh uh, well thought out theologies and of course there are a number of them in the world <clears throat> and uh, for example the uh, uh, much of the uh, Catholic Christian tradition is comes from the Greek the whole Western civilization coming from the Greeks and then turning Roman and Catholic and and then secular, hmm? Protestant, I should say, and then largely secular uh, in many respects. Um, And the early Catholic writers, Augustine, um, Aquinas, like the Greeks, like Plato and Aristotle, they uh, uh, posited the idea about the absolute or the Godhead uh, uh, that he was wholly transcendent. Transcendent means beyond the world, mm-hmm. out of our immediate uh, reach, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, the Gaudi tradition and really uh, the various Vaishnava traditions uh, agree with that in in many respects. But of course, the problem—that apparent problem—that arises with the more that we posit the transcendence of the Godhead, the more distant it would appear, and unlike us, distant from us and unlike us, he becomes the harder to identify with, perhaps, and um, also his ability or capacity to relate. With us, with ordinary folk, common folk, uh, and their plight hmm, comes into uh, into question. The uh, Western theological term for uh, the Godhead's transcendence, in the way I'm speaking about it, is impassibility. Impassibility means that the Godhead is is uh, not um, moved. Hmm, changed, transformed, emotionally uh, affected hmm, by uh, the transformations that we ourselves in this world undergo. Hmm? And similarly, extending that idea then, I should say, Because he is distant and transcendent, he has no direct experience of our suffering. And so to bring home to the central theme of our discussion, we all know from our experience that when we have experience of suffering, it is much easier for us to be empathetic with others who similarly suffer. If we have experienced the pain, particular pain or condition, I mean, or just overhaul the condition of material existence, which has a fair amount of pain that accompanies it, um, it puts us in a position, having had that experience, if not having it, you know, all the time to one extent or another, alleviating it here and there, uh, which is what we call happiness, um, it puts us in a position to empathize with others when they experience it, perhaps on a, on a deeper level. And if we have absolutely no experience of the suffering of others, then it's difficult to be empathetic. Is that correct? Yes. Vamsi, thank you. Dr. Vamsi will confirm this. <laughs> uh, indeed, I believe it's true, and you please uh, correct me or edit me as, as need be, being, being a psych- psychologist. The position of the psychologist or the psychiatrist, which is, I guess, is a medical version of the medically certified version of the psychologist, um, is you know they have the we have the famous couch and uh, and the, the doctor tries to enter into the the person hmm, um, and experience what they're experiencing and feel it through with them and talk it out and. And so we talked about this a little bit, this has come up a little bit in our previous discussions with regard to the idea that reason is a limited um, uh, instrument or uh, vehicle or force, influence to uh, faulty, defective, in terms of being the, the, the vehicle by which we might come to conclusive Knowledge by which we might become perfectly happy, by which we might in our terms transcend the the world of birth and death and so on and so forth it, it's a, it's an argument we make often, but we we raised it in a little bit of a different way to help um underscore this point as to the limits of reason because reason is 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 a popular uh you know uh, uh thing these days it's it's thought that uh uh, it, it's held very much on high, placed on the altar, almost as if it's the only way of really knowing anything conclusively. But what I'm going to say, of course, uh, as I kind of I think alluded to a little bit earlier, is that even within the realm of psychology, we know that if we know by by reason what is the cause of our dysfunction psychologically, uh, where we default to that becomes a problem for us emotionally. Hmm? We may know it, but knowing it and reasoning about it is not the force by which it will be rectified, overcome, dealt with, um, what would the word be? Worked out, resolved. Hmm? Hmm? So reason doesn't have the power hmm, uh, to uh, to uh, solve such Emotional problems it may be an, have a place in it, hmm? but there's an other an of like kind hmm? way of solving the problem. It's an emotional problem; it needs to be solved on an emotional level. So there's some kind of uh, this is, so it's a, in this way, the way I'm speaking about it, in the emotional realm. Aside from reason, there is a way of knowing. Hmm? There's a means of knowing. So I'm just giving a material uh, example. And so much more does it hold true that reason and intellect being part of the, uh, the plane of material existence. We have, we have senses or body. We have minds. We have intellect. Hmm? And the Gita says that that which distracts us, karma, desire, lust, is seated in all three of these places they're not very useful <laughs> in and of themselves to resolve the problem. The, the trishna in the, in the language of Buddha, the thirst for things that makes us uncomfortable. Hmm? I want. As soon as you want, then you have a problem. Right? As soon as you want something, you have a problem. So some philosophers reason that if you don't want anything, then you don't move. Hmm? You are complete, you're full. If you want something then you have to move. We can go on from there, of course. There may be a kind of movement out of fullness that we know is what we refer to as lila, the celebration of fullness. But for the most part, people are moving out of a sense of lack, mm-hmm. a sense of being, running on empty, to the, going to the station mm-hmm. to get fueled up. Hmm? So, at any rate, to resolve this problem, hmm, it's a it 's a spiritual problem of we need a spiritual uh, vehicle, a spiritual means, another means of knowing i 'm just trying to say simply reason is not all it's made out to be mm-hmm. hmm. Um, hmm. Uh, and there are other ways of knowing we have a transrational way of knowing through the chanting that what that something that can be known uh, that by such that cannot be known by reason. And we will admit there may be some things we won't be able to know just by the chanting. That's kind of a straw man's argument that comes up sometimes. These gurus say they know everything. I don't think everybody, anybody knows everything. When we say knows everything, we mean knows in such a way that they feel Perfectly content that there's nothing more that needs to be known hmm? that kind of knowing can be arrived at um, by the by a transrational um, method hmm? chanting is 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 uh, such a method hmm? Hmm. and um of course, as we're talking it's a bit of a it's certainly a a a, a compassionate dispensation, but we're reasoning about the the idea that the Godhead is impassable, hmm? transcendent, and beyond the experience of material suffering, which arguably inhibits the Godhead from being compassionate, has no experience of our suffering. You think about it. God has no experience, direct experience, personally, of our suffering and as much as direct experience of suffering facilitates us in terms of being empathetic to others having a shared experience the argument is that God is limited in his capacity to be compassionate that's a problem hmm? it would seem because we need the compassion of God in order to be saved but we need God to be transcendent in order to be able to save us because if he's part of the problem like, our intellect is part of the problem. It arises out of karma. The body we have, the mind, the disposition we have, the measure of our intellect is all a product of karma. It's all material. The Gita says what? What is it, last verse of the third chapter? What scholars here? here either there are the sense objects then the senses then the mind intellect and then there is he or she the experiencer self which is categorically different so in hierarchy this goes through a hierarchy of material phenomena the sense objects things that we see smell taste hear, and so forth the senses by which there are They're contacted. Hmm? The mind, which is obviously a big part of the experience, if the senses are in touch with a sense object, if our ears are in touch with a sound, hmm? that's not all we need to have the experience of hearing. Our mind has to be there as well. Hmm? To the extent that the mind is lined up with the ear and the ear is lined up with the sound, we'll have the experience of hearing. We might be here in the room and not hear everything that's said because our mind is going somewhere else. You have to work on that. But it, So, he said that? Really? I didn't hear that part. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> understandable. Uh, so the senses, then going up, the, sen- the, the excuse me, the objects of the senses, the sense objects, mind, and then intellect. And intellect is, is such that with the intellect we could regulate where we allow the senses and mind to go, and so forth. So it's very subtle, the intellect, and it's a distinguishing and discriminating faculty. We could discriminate up to the point of understanding that, hmm. In all of this, I am. I have a faculty of discrimination, but I'm doing the discrimination. Maybe I'm. What am I? Hmm. We can get close, but. But again, intellect has its limitation. Therefore, the the ability to discriminate between consciousness and matter is a very fine, refined form of discrimination that's said to be sattvic, under the sattvic influence of nature. But the sattvic influence of nature is still an influence of, of material nature and it cannot afford us then a fully transcendental experience. So, we need help from beyond our condition. So, that's what one of the what one of the things that makes God God, right? We've given an example many times. If you have a fire, and I'll, I'll go through it again. It's it's useful. A fire consists of a number of things. There's a fire, period, and then there's heat and light, which is like energy of the fire. There are sparks from the fire. And what else does a fire have? Smoke. And that's very peculiar because fire illuminates and smoke obscures. It's just the opposite. So it is a nice example. All these things together make up the fire. So in our analogy, Krishna is the fire. Heat and light is what we call bhakti. It has a cognitive feature, a luminous feature, the, the light, light is used in an analogy to represent knowing. Hmm? It's a kind of, no, bhakti is, is, in other words, it's a kind of, well, it's, it has a kind of knowing in it. Hmm? And it has light and heat. Heat means feeling. So, feeling means love here in the analogy. So, bhakti is a feeling, but a wise feeling. Hmm? Now we have feelings, and we have feelings of love, but they may not be very wise. We may we feel I should do something, but it may not be a wise thing to do. Hmm? We may, our feelings may overrule our intellect, and this is our sometimes, right? Every now and then it happens. that our, our feelings rule over our intellect, and it's a problem. There may be times when it's a good thing, but mostly it's a problem. Hmm? But when we talk about bhakti, we're talking about a feeling that is wise. Hmm? So love of God... Is therefore something that can be um, we can look at somewhat objectively because someone could say I love God. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Can we talk about something else?
1: (laughs) I love God too. So,
0: or there's books like Conversation with God and so forth. So, we have to look for the Vedic or kind of wisdom of Vedanta. Vedanta means end of knowledge. and and the ego-effacing kind of idea that um, what is consciousness, what is matter, distinguishing between the two, um, and then loving within the plane of consciousness, having been wise enough to distinguish between myself and that which I'm not, hmm? between the ephemeral, to, to understand the implications of impermanence. We are pervaded, surrounded by impermanence, And we feel uncomfortable with that. If we were impermanent, we would not feel comfortable. Uncomfortable with the impermanence that we're surrounded by. But there's an inherent resistance within us to the impermanence that pervades our existence. Everything is here today and gone tomorrow, right? Everything we see. The sun will burn out. We feel so, we feel a little uncomfortable. With this and and the Vedic Vedanta wisdom in this regard is if you were impermanent yourself you would not feel comfortable you are not hmm? so this is the, the kind of the, the wisdom I'm talking this is packed into built into Bhakti love that's wise hmm? love that means if I'm going to love perfectly hmm? my love should be unending right. Undying love. Hmm? That's, that's the very idea of love, isn't it? And they live happily ever after, even though it doesn't go on for everything that we experience is, is not going on forever. And we know that, but still, when we talk about love, then we talk about something that also relates to our resistance to impermanence. Hmm? We are permanent means we're 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 we are, we are sought hmm? we exist in we're real nothing can erase us hmm? and and to be cognizant of the fact chit and then in that to pursue ananda love hmm? and even in the storybooks and the movies and whatnot in the common English parlance, love is thought to be should be forever. Hmm? You take a vow for, well, till death do we part. That's a little wise too. You will part at death, so what to do about that? So if you want to have an object of love that won't be problematic, you have to have an object of love that's going to endure. Hmm? Therefore, the love of God hmm? is the idea. Hmm? Hmm? But God is transcendent. Does he even love us? He has no experience of our problems. Hmm? If he had direct experience of our problems, well, he'd have a problem, because it's a problem for us. You understand what I mean? If God is under, to, what, to use the Godia Vedanta terms, if God is under the influence of his maya shakti and the emotional transformations that that, are, that arise from that, then what kind of God is that? How will he affect... Our salvation bring about our salvation.
1: Hmm?
0: Problem: He has to be transcendent, but if he's transcendent, then he has no experience of the suffering. What is his capacity to be compassionate? And what is our 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 hope then? If God isn't compassionate, reach out to us. Hmm? You know that bugs suffer, right? But you're not in, making a movement out of it. Right? Hmm? We're like a bug on the wall. I heard this, you know, Miko, what is his name, Miko Kako? Micho Kako. Micho Kako. The other day, speaking about the universe, he was calling it something like a um, soap bubble, he said. And we, as a universe, or or as a, I guess, as people, I, I don't know if he was referring to us or our planet or he was talking about the multiverse conception, but anyway, the soap bubble, he said, we were like flies stuck on the, on the bubble. Hmm? So, the analogy is appropriate. Um, you know that bugs suffer, right? But it's not what makes your boat float, as they say. It doesn't drive the engine of your life. Hmm? So, Certainly God has abstract knowledge of the fact that we suffer. He knows the cause. Hmm? Ignorance, as it manifests in the form of attachment, attachment to things that don't endure as a recipe for suffering because they're not going to last, and so you're going to be disappointed in due course when they, uh, they no longer serve your purposes. Hmm? So, we have abstract knowledge that bugs suffer, but we're not like doing much about it. It's not a big concern. We might even swat one. It happens. <laughs> right? uh, so, uh, so, we're kind of like bugs, and we, we're suffering. And it's not, it's not what makes God's life go round. is the idea. Hmm? If he's fully transcendent, and has no experience of the suffering, in order to be fully transcendent, he, he can't have that experience. He can't be subject to that experience. Hmm? Or then he's not, so we have a problem here. <laughs> we have a problem. And it's a problem I think in, in all, all schools of uh, theology worth there, you know, worth, worth, worth hearing about. Hmm? And it's resolved to the satisfaction of the followers in different traditions. Let's take the uh, Christian tradition Uh, for the longest time the way in which this problem, if you will, is resolved the impassibility of God is transcendence hmm? and the problem with his being aloof and transcendent with regard to having empathy for ourselves hmm? Um, I think it's thought to be resolved to some extent by the Son of God, the Christ who then there was a long debate in Christianity Is he human or is he God? You can't be both. And they concluded, he's both. Hmm? He's fully human, he's fully God, and say no more. So they came up with an achintya, to use one of our words to resolve the problem. Hmm? He's fully human, he's fully God. So he fully experienced the suffering, and he becomes the vehicle or the compassion of the Godhead for the suffering of humanity, something like that, how they resolve it. Now, if you're Catholic, I guess you like that, and that, that works, it's good. It's, you know, there are things that are inconceivable to us, so this is the way they've tried to resolve it. But still, hmm, that has not been enough in modern times. We're talking about classical theism, And I use Christian. There are different forms of classical theism, but I use Christianity as an as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, But in Christianity, as time has gone on, of course, you had the Protestant Revolution against the Catholics and so forth. And and now, prominent uh, thinkers, I think, outside of the Catholic Church and Protestantism, this idea of God's impassibility is is just not very popular. Mm -hmm. And there are various attempts to humanize God in the Bible. Um, there are descriptions of God um, being angry with people. Don't do that. I guess the clouds part, and He says something to Moses, or He's angry, and, and He's and also He 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 feels compassion and so forth. With well, these, in the past, because of the necessity, as it was thought by the church fathers, for the, for God to be impassible, these phrases were thought to be an anthropomorphic kind of way of talking about God. We, we talk about God in terms of our own selves and experience and then posit human um, attributes to him. But, of course, he's not human. He's transcendent. and So, therefore, those statements should be taken to be as such and not literal, which would compromise the transcendence and impassibility of God, which is a requirement for him to be God. Hmm? Follow? (laughs) But in more modern times, um, uh, some of the most prominent uh, Christian thinkers um, today, some of them, they have sought to humanize God that more. And then you have things like, of course, like the Christian forms of panentheism would be an example, Hmm? where God is the world, like pantheism, hmm? God is the world—a a kind of a what would you call it? A uh, who's that Italian? Was he it Was Spanish? Spinoza the idea, like that. God is the world. The mystery of the world is God. Um, but pan, and then you have theism on the other end. God's way up there, completely transcendent. And in pantheism, God is completely here, the world. Hmm? So panentheism, of course, is a, is a there's a sexy mixture of the two, hmm? popular to some extent these days, but it's, it's been around for a long time. The Vaishnava is largely Ramanuja, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu a panentheistic perspective, but different in the Christian perspective in that the transcendence, the impassibility of God, it is not compromised. They don't think that he's compromised in modern forms of Christianity where they humanize him that much more. Hmm? And they say, for example, wait a minute. Hmm? Compassion on the part of God is not a fault; it's a virtue. Hmm? It's a virtue. After all, if you're if you're just you're not concerned about the suffering of other people, it's beyond you. Then, then you're you're kind of a you're kind of like too male or something like that. You know, you're you're not uh, whole. Hmm. And so they make arguments like this to turn it around and say somehow he has to be he has to be compassionate and experience have some experience of the compassion but not affected by it and so it's a humanizing and, a, and 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 trying to bring God closer, so to speak and then you have the other Christians arguing against this is a terrible idea you cannot humanize him in this way he has to be impassable he's not God so these type of discussions are. Um, out and and about hmm? and uh, the subject the same issue of course is brought up a long time ago in the Sandarbhas by Jiva Goswami in his Paramatma Sandarbha, and in his Bhakti Sandarbha, the impassibility of God it is 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 spoken about and he raises this very issue hmm? but. Um, um, well, let's go into it—a little different. Hmm? How it's resolved, how God can be fully transcendent, and at the same time, um, and thus, thus be capable of of bringing about a solution to our problems, but be motivated to do so hmm? out of compassion for us. Our God, Krishna, is not without compassion. Hmm? Um, It's one of the qualities uh, uh, of him that are mentioned by Rupa Goswami and Bhakti Rasa Sindhu. Hmm. But Jiva Goswami says, and rightfully so, he has no experience of our suffering. It's not what drives him. Hmm? He has no experience of it whatsoever. Now, when we say in the Christian tradition, God has no experience of material suffering and becomes transcendent, he becomes, at least as far as we can tell from the literature, Rather emotionless. If the discussion, if the mention of his emotions are to be taken anthropo- as anthro- examples of anthropomorphism, ways that we you know, use human language to speak about him, even though he's beyond um, word and so forth. Um, we have a kind of a cold or less personal, certainly not a robust and richly emotional person like Krishna. He's super richly emotional Hmm. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, and that's part of what drives us, isn't it? We like Krishna for that reason. He is very emotional. But of course, his emotions are arising not out of the influence of his Maya Shakti. So, a very important aspect of the theology of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, indeed, it really hangs on this. Upanishadic statement in one sense, Parasya shakti vivadayi that God, had, God has shakti. I was talking about it in the analogy of the fire. Hmm? God is the fire. He has heat and light. This heat and light is what we call the sarup shakti. It's what bhakti is made up of. It's The heat is the feeling, love, and the light is the wisdom, wise love. It's, it's, it's not love Arising out of thinking I'm matter and loving things that won't endure and and uh, and 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 really selfish when we look at it closely because it's arising out of a need that I have having identified with a body that has needs hmm? I try to solve my needs by connecting with another hmm? love is really not about this kind of taking it's all about giving but if I'm not full or feeling full then it's difficult to love. Hmm? So, bhakti is this kind of wise love. It's coming. It's it's it, and it's a movement because love involves movement, hmm? and but 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 wise movement. Hmm? So you have the fire. You have heat and light. Heat and light is the sarup shakti, the bhakti. Then you have the spark. That's us. We're like the fire, but but still, there's a big difference between a spark and a fire. With a fire, you can cook and heat, and with a spark, you can't. Hmm? But still, spark is like a fire. Hmm? Like and unlike. So, we're in this in between kind of situation. And then you have the smoke. Hmm? So, these are three Shaktis. The smoke is a Shakti, it is the obscuring Shakti that arises out of the fire. We call it Maya Shakti. It has a constitution, the smoke. What it is exactly, we don't know. Hmm? We talk about it as best we can. Hmm? We import. The, uh, the the Sankhya philosophy about Maya, that, that its constituents, at the time of the, uh, of the speaking of the Gita or the Bhagavatam, take the current thinking about it, hmm? uh, and you find that in the text. Now there's other thinking about what matter is, and there's thinking about we thought we understood matter, and now we don't understand it at all. And so it, this is a very good term that the scriptures have given for Maya, Vishnu Maya. It's incredible what it's made of. It has two influences. I mean, it's two aspects. What it's constituted of, the guna maya, its qualities, and jiva maya, its power to bewilder. Hmm? It's a show turned on by ourselves. We we turn on the world. Consciousness makes the world go round. Hmm? Once you turn on the show, you can get trapped watching the show and lose sight of the fact that you know, now the kid it happens to kids. I understand they get lost in the virtual world of computer games and so forth, and they get to be pulled away from the computer and sent to Bumsey to be a, lie on the couch and, and get a grip. <laughs> there's there, there's a, there's more than a virtual reality. There's a there's a real reality, and then he's qualified to tell them about the real real reality as well. <laughs> so the obscuring. Smoke hmm? and the far- spark can get caught in the smoke and or the spark can go and connect with the heat and the light and its source the fire and thrive, hmm? such as our position. But all these things beside the fire, the fire is like the energetic, and then you have the energies of heat and light of sparks and smoke. These are the shaktis, so the whole Gaudi tradition rests on this idea of shakti, and particularly hmm, well, with regard to the maya shakti and the jiva shakti, but more so with regard to a very interesting and unique concept, theologically, the swarup shakti, hmm? this internal shakti, this heat and light, if you will, in the analogy of the fire, that's more like the fire than not. We're like it and not like it. Smoke's not very much like it at all. Hmm? But it's like it, it's part of it. Hmm? Smoke is fire. If you have smoke, they say, where there is smoke, there is fire. Hmm? So, smoke is part of fire, but it's not like it. It obscures and fire illuminates. Hmm? Hmm? There's a oneness between the smoke and the fire, and there's a big difference, too. With regard to the spark, there's a oneness with the fire, and there's a difference. And it's kind of like, you know, if you get touched by a spark, it'll burn also. But, okay, it's only a spark. Hmm? It's not like being thrown in the fire. So, there's more likeness than difference, but this, it's, it's, it could go one way, it could go the other. spark could go into the smoke, it could be obscured. Its light could be obscured by the... Fire can't be obscured by the by the smoke, but the spark could be obscured by the smoke. Hmm. And then fire. Oh, excuse me, then heat and light. Heat and light are more like fire. It's almost hard to think of fire as separate from heat and light. Hmm. So, so this is bhakti. This is a, a, a very uh, peculiar shakti that is is, 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 the, is the 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 um, by and far the overwhelming emphasis in Gaudiya theology, because it is by the influence of this shakti which we call bhakti, that the godhead has the emotional life that we find attractive and interesting and compelling and the prospect of being emotional beings as we are, as I said, having them fulfilled by having them reposed in an object that is not only eternal so that we don't have a problem when we, as we do when we repose our emotions in things that don't endure, we attached to them, not only is he permanent and enduring, but charming and has an emotional life. It seems similar to ours. Hmm? That's what kind of attracts us and allows us to bond, if you will, with him when we hear about the emotional life of Krishna. It's so much like ours. It causes a bond. Hmm? And all of this, this whole emotional life is going on under the influence of this sarup Shakti. So this is a very central part of the theology of Gaudiya Vaishnava. a very important part. Jiva Goswami, mean, goes on forever about this, the, establishing from the sacred text that there is such a thing as this Swarup Shakti. Hmm? And of course, Radha is the personification, the full measure, the full expression of the sarup Shakti, Therefore, what is the, you know, the theme of Gaudi Jai Radhe, Jai Radhe, Jai Radhe. bhakti, overwhelming Bhagwan. That is Krishna. What Krishna Akashini. Krishna means comes from the word. Akash means attraction. It is said that Krishna is all attractive but it said that bhakti attracts krishna it is very extraordinary then Akashini. he, he was all attracted becomes attracted by bhakti and 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 and, and as a result has a full, the full range of 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 uh, in a very robust emotional life in transcendence so now we have a god that's fully transcendent Okay, that's good. We needed that. Hmm? But also, he has a full emotional life hmm? that causes us to bond with him in ways that that, that an obs- obscure kind of abstract God, maybe an impersonal force or something, or a fellow with, you know, sometimes some, some forms of Christianity used to get these tracks when I was a kid and God had no face. You ever seen those? And the Jewish tradition said, no one has seen it. They said no one's seen the face of God hmm. I think it said something like that it's, you would die if you see the face of god it's just, so it's very like uh, h- harder to bond given our emotional um, condition and reality hmm. and then, so there are schools of, of, in Hinduism where the emphasis is on knowledge, not on emotion, not on you know you can have emotion for a point and then it'll end and you just become the Godhead, or you become transcendent, you enter into some ineffable reality that has, that's very unlike our present reality. Gauti and is not thinking like that at all, about the Absolute. Hmm. It's thinking the Absolute very much like us, and that our present life is very much like our life in transcendence, without, without with just a slight reversal. Here... Even the happiness is suffering in the long run. If our happiness is based on our attachments, well, the things that we have we can't endure, so it turns into unhappiness, to put it simply. So even the, even the, unha- even the happiness is happy, unhappiness in the making. And the reverse out, of course, is even the unhappiness, the viraha, the separation from Krishna, the longing and so forth. Hmm. Is, is extremely blissful. Hmm. It's all happy, all blissful. Hmm. It's all a play. Hmm. In the play, in the drama, there may be suffering, but there's no real suffering. And playing the part is is blissful. I guess you could say it. I've done it, done it right. You're going to get an award for that. Hmm. Hmm. So, that said... We're attracted to him, his emotional life. But we're also taught that our emotional life is is different because, well, it's directed to or reposed in things that don't endure. It's problematic and so on. So we're supposed to pull back from that. But nonetheless, we're given an object to repose our um, selves in, if you will. And as a result of that, it's thought that we will have a rich emotional life in relation to the Godhead. So, that said, what drives God then, Krishna, is bhakti. Hmm? And he is completely overwhelmed, like we are, (laughs) with emotional life. (laughs) Hmm? Um, But it's all transcendent. And the nature of that bhakti, having the power to attract Krishna, to overwhelm Krishna, does not afford him the opportunity to be concerned about anything but bhakti, you see. If you don't understand bhakti, you'll think God could. Krishna should be concerned about people who aren't devotees. That makes sense, right? But if theologically, if you look at it, you think you have now by saying that you have minimized the the, the power of bhakti. It completely, completely overwhelms Krishna. We like that idea. But then we have to follow that through. If he's completely overwhelmed, but he can't look elsewhere. Hmm? He's got a whole emotional life driven by bhakti. Hmm? This is brought out beautifully in the ninth canto of the Bhagavatam. When Durvas Muni offends Ambarish, the the, 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 the jnani, Durvas offended Ambarish. And um, it's a long story, but the chakra of of, of Narayan manifest and started chasing Ambarish. He wanted, Ambarish was uh, a householder and Duvas came with his group of uh, monks and uh, arrived on the scene and so they were to be fed as was the, was the custom. So Ambarish prepared a nice meal and whatnot. Meanwhile, they went to bathe in the river and then the time came for breaking the, it was the codice, so the breaking the codice, and there's a titi, a, a time that's appropriate to observe it, and then the vow is complete. And so, um, the kind, time came for breaking the, the the fast, but Durvas was still bathing in the river. Hmm? And so, uh, Ambarish drank water, which is... A way of breaking the fast and not breaking the fast at the same time. Hmm? And meanwhile, Durvas came and I don't somehow, I forget the detail, but he, he, he found out that Ambarish had drank in water. He says, What is this? I come to your house to eat, you know, with my group, and you eat before me? He says, this, is the, this is the anger of Gyan. Of Gyan <laughs> is the kind of repressing, through knowledge, we can repress our emotional life. Hmm? but that can show up then in the form of anger. Shiva is said to have been repressing in meditation his emotional life and Cupid came to distract him and he opened his eyes and burned Cupid. Cupid is called Ananga. He has no body anymore, which has made him more dangerous. Hmm? So Shiva didn't solve the problem. He made the problem worse. <laughs> That's the idea. Hmm. So, no, so bhakti is not repressive. It gives us a place to express ourselves, uh, uh in transcendent e- 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 emotion. Hmm. So anyway, Durvas, this is a story in the Bhagavad making this point to us. What is bhakti? What is gyan? Of course, Ambarish was a householder also. Durvas was a mystic and a, and a rishi and a monk and so forth and, uh, and, uh, um, study the scriptures. and You know, bhaktas, they study to some extent, but uh, not necessarily, Hmm. Um, as much as the gyanis. We talked about this this morning when, when we were speaking of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Benares, and the Benares sannyasi said, what's with this? You're a sannyasi, but you're singing and dancing. The duty of the sannyasi is to study the Vedanta. And Mahaprabhu said, yeah, I know, I heard that, but my guru told me I wasn't qualified to study the Vedanta, and I, I think somewhere in the Vedanta it said you should follow your guru, right? Yes. yes. And he told me he gave me this mantra to chant with the Krishna's name. I think that's mentioned in there somewhere too. I'm doing that, and, and and as a result of that, I'm getting this effect that you're complaining about, and saying that I should be studying the Vedanta. I'm not sure, and they really... You didn't find that. You didn't see that in there about the chanting somewhere in all your study, the importance of Namsan Kirtan and Kali Yuga. Somehow you missed that. eh? Mm -hmm. But you're the... Mm -hmm. I defer to you. Tell me, what is Vedanta? He said. And of course, they they submitted to him and he began to speak Vedanta. They were converted to Gaudiya Vedanta. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, Durvas... He, the big scholar and whatnot, he criticized Ambarish. What's this? He got angry at him, the anger of the jnani from, from repression. And Bahami and, Hum Krishna says, my devotees I protect. So to protect Ambarish from the anger of Durvas, the, the chakra of Krishna, the wheel, the disc, manifest and started chasing the Durvas. So Durvas is running from, he went to Brahma, and Brahma said, I, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> he went to Shiva, I can't do anything about that, sorry. And then he was allowed into Vaikuntha. Hmm? You think, well, how can he get into Vaikuntha? Well, you have to be fully transcendent transcendent, and love for Krishna and Narayan to enter there. Hmm? Somewhere Jiva Goswami in his writing in Sundarbhas makes the point that sometimes, just like a king, hmm, in his court... For the sake of entertainment, may bring in a tiger. Hmm? It's somewhat tamed. Hmm? Uh, similarly, sometimes Orion lets some some less than fully transcended people enter enter Baikunta for some entertainment, <laughs> something like that. So Durvas came in, and 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 so now he's approaching Narayan who should be able to solve the problem, right? It's his chakra, after all. Narayan said, Sorry, can't do anything about it. Hmm? He said, You've offended my devotee. Hmm? And I I can't protect you if you offend my devotee. I'm I'm completely under the influence of um, my devotees. Dhruva says, Well, you know, you should be compassionate upon me. He says, I have no compassion. I'm completely in the hands of my... He goes on and on for so many verses. It's a really good section which emphasizes the extent to which Bhagavan Narayan, would speak of Krishna, is overwhelmed by bhakti, the power of bhakti. The power of bhakti does not allow him hmm, to, to move. Wherever bhakti goes, he has to go. He has to go there. It said, where does bhakti come from? Bhakti takes shelter in the heart of a devotee typically an intermediate devotee who's in in touch with the public, let's say, and wherever uh, that devotee goes, wherever bhakti goes through the agency of that devotee, Krishna has to go there. He has no choice in the matter. This is a very important point. Hmm? Krishna is completely controlled by the devotee. The devotee, therefore, in his own words, is more important to him than himself. And more important to us, also. Mm-hmm. This is a point that's made again and again, and we can make it and go, yeah, yeah, I got it, but we don't really get it. The, the characteristic of the neophyte devotee is that he or she thinks, I, God is important, but the devotees, well, uh, you know, there's so many devotees. Not so important. Hmm? Typically, then, the, the devotee will be giving a lecture on the Bhagatam. The neophyte devotee will come in and stand before the altar put a rupee in the box in India, make a prayer, give me a good son, walk out and ignore the devotee and the discourse about Bhagwan and so on and so forth. But this plays out on higher levels as well. Hmm? The extent to which we we think that God is more important than the devotee. God doesn't think, the Christian doesn't think like that. Hmm? And his whole emotional life, which we're attracted to about him, hmm? or by, is arising out of the influence of bhakti. Hmm? Our goal is, is bhakti, not Bhagavan. Love for Krishna, not Krishna. Hmm. Of course, that's where he's found. Hmm. So, we want that, we think naturally, well, God should be compassionate towards, let's say, you know, ordinary n- non-devotees, people who are not uh, under the influence in any way of Israup Shakti. There's two forces in the world in one sense. We have force of karma, and then there 's the influence of force of bhakti if we 're fortunate in the context of being under the influence of karma, we, we come under the influence under the sway of bhakti, and that is the power to obviously to 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 dissipate the influence of karma because it has the power to overwhelm krishna so that 's a small thing in comparison hmm. But the point is here that if bhakti is all we want it to be need to be, and of course the scripture says it is, then Bhagwan has no time to think about anything but his devotee. Those who are completely focused on him have got his full attention. They fully have his attention. So those who are not under the influence of bhakti, how can he think about them? Neither does he have any experience of their suffering directly. He knows... The mechanism, he knows there's something called ignorance and attachment is its manifestation. It causes suffering. He can speak about it as he does in the Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? So he has abstract knowledge of the suffering. Hmm? But abstract knowledge of it is not compelling enough to, 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 to cause you to center your life around it. Just like I said, you have abstract knowledge that bugs suffer. But we're not going to... It hasn't started yet, at least a movement for bugs. Hmm? Save the bugs. You know, they're suffering. Um, we laugh at it. What do the bugs think? They have no compassion. They're, they're, they're way up there. You know, They're, they're not like us. Hmm. So, he has some abstract knowledge, but it's not what drives him. Hmm. Hmm. But he has a rich emotional life in the context of bhakti. So, then, what about how does that compassion of god that is displayed how it played out expressed in relation to his devotees he has compassion for his devotees hmm? we, we see it in in the case of ambarish that even without his thinking about it, his trucker manifest and chased uh, durvas durvas had to go back to ambarish ultimately and ambarish said yeah no i didn't you know mean anything Krishna told him, "You don't know. You think you know the, 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 the what is dharma, because you are a begani, but you don't understand even the, the, the drinking." And he quoted some verse: drinking water, and the fast is not breaking the fast and breaking the fast. You don't know. My devotees know. They they know everything that the gyanis know, and more. Hmm. Bhakti is rajavidhi. It is the full face of knowledge. Hmm. So he said, "I am completely in the hands of my devotee." You offended my devotee. Hmm. He's got to resolve the situation. I can't excuse you for offending my devotee. Hmm. If the devotee excuses you, you you, were, you went to Brahma, it didn't work. you Went to Shiva, you, you have to go higher. So we went to, from Brahma to Shiva, Shiva to Narayan. Narayan saying, "You have to go higher, <laughs> huh? I'm in Vaikuntha, your God. You say I have to go higher. Where will I go? To Ambarish. Hmm? who
2: was waiting in the same place
0: yeah, for one year? waiting for him to come back to, to gone Vakuntam, waiting for him to, to serve the meal <laughs> He was so controlled his' all is in the story, his senses were perfectly controlled hmm? although he wasn 't an ascetic and apparently renounced and so forth. He was fully engaged in the deity worship, Ambarishas, um was doing all Nabalakhan all bhakti. All forms of bhakti. Hmm? Uh, Sukadev became perfect by chanting, the Bhagavatam. prikshit by hearing. Hmm? Akura by praying. Ambarish by all of them at once. Hmm? Something like this. It's a very busy fellow. Hmm? And perfectly sense-controlled. Perfectly in touch with, you know, to do all these things, especially the deity worship, you have to be in touch with so many things. You have to gather food, grow food, pick flowers, go shopping. Hmm? and so forth find the best deals and, and so on he's fully absorbed in this and completely transcendent you threw, if you threw Durvas in a situation like that he would lose it there are many examples <laughs> of that in the Bhagavatam oh my god
3: I'm in a shopping mall <laughs>
0: so yeah, so again knowledge of the problem is not the solution entirely hmm? it will be solved emotionally our material problem will be solved emotionally hmm? Bhakti is an emotive. Hmm, is an emotive aspect. It has an active aspect and an emotive aspect. Hmm. So, so the point here, what the Bhakta, bhakti, bhakti, hmm, is, is a is in Narayan's eyes, is above Narayan. It's controlling him and Krishna that much more so. So, preem is this complete absorption in Krishna, hmm, and Krishna is completely absorbed. In the box, he has no time to look anywhere else. Hmm? Because he has abstract knowledge about suffering is indirectly, but it's not driving him. Hmm? Now that said, because he's absorbed in his devotees, if his devotees, who have some experience of material suffering, right, you're devotee you have some experience of material suffering, if you naturally, as you would in bhakti, feel compassion for others, oh, then Krishna, to please you, hmm? he has to, hmm? much as you're a devotee, he has to please you, then his compassion will be extended to those whom you care about, who you have compassion for, whom you want to give bhakti to, or whom you just want to help. hmm? And, of course, the devotees, being one of his shaktis, they're the combination of two. There's the jiva shakti and the Sarup shakti, bhakti, coming together. And because the, 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 the jiva shakti is now influenced by the Sarup shakti, we call him or her a devotee. So, to the extent that that's the case, we're devotee. Then, whatever our cares are, there may be our concern for others... So Will indirectly draw the compassion of God. So this is the way in which the problem is resolved in in Vaishnavism. The devotee is non-different, in one sense, as we said, from Bhagwan. Hmm? Just as the the spark is not from the fire and the heat and light. and Here you have both of them together, the spark in the heat and light. Hmm? So Bhagawan comes to the world for the devotees, and the devotees care about others. Now there may be devotees that 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 are um, don't have any experience of material life. We have this idea of Nitya Siddhas. was said to come with his associates. So his associates are have an identity in Krishna Leela. Hmm? So they have no experience of material suffering. That's true. So what about them? They have no compassion. No, because why? Bhakti requires both the object of love and the love. So the, devo- the, the, the God, God and the love, both. Hmm? But there are two different vantage points. The vantage point of the devotee and the vantage point of Bhagavan as the object of love and the devotee as the love. Hmm? So in bhakti, while Krishna is absorbed only in his devotees, devotees are only absorbed in God, but God, they see everything in relation to God which is appropriate. They see the whole fire. They see the Shaktis. Hmm? They see the stars at night and they think, fascinating, and they can sit and look at the story we talked about yesterday. Prabhupada looked at the New York women. Wow, they're fascinating. Without any attraction to them, but but how it all works and fascinated by the workings of Vishnu Maya and so forth. Hmm? So the the devotee is only absorbed in Krishna but sees everything in relation to Krishna. Hmm? and wants to you know see, wants to kinda of excavate the connection that all things have with Krishna. So sh- the sharing of bhakti also is stated in in in, in the sacred text, Tatikshiva Karunika, for example. Hmm? Surita Sarvarehinam Bhagavatam describes the qualities of the devotee. This is you know this is a secondary quality of bhakti is compassion. Hmm? So it's a secondary quality of bhakti from the perspective of the Bhakta. hmm? So the devotees are naturally compassionate. Even if they don't have direct experience of suffering, Bhakti makes them naturally compassionate for all animation. In the 12th chapter of the the Gita, also the qualities of devotees are described, one of them is compassionate. Hmm? And Bidibhushan in his commentary says, they cannot tolerate the pain and suffering of, of, any, of, of anyone. They, try, they feel moved to, 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 to remedy it. This is the quality of bhakti as it manifests in the bhakta. Hmm? So the bhakta is thought to be, the devotee is thought to be the kripa-shakti, that manifestation of the kripa, the compassion of Bhagwan. He's transcendent, aloof, not touched by Maya, thank God, hmm? capable of delivering us. And he has compassion for us as manifest through his devotees who are one with and different from him at the same time. This is how we resolve the issue. I feel it's a little more elegant than Ajintya, but there are different faiths and people will be drawn to different manifestations of the Godhead. Now, that said, it's an interesting subject. Hmm? That said, with emphasis on the devotee we come to the position of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, which is what our discussion is about as it began. Namo Mahabodhanaya, Rupa Goswami said, he's extremely magnanimous, the most magnanimous. He describes him in his Vidagdhamadava, um, uh, Anar Pitacharim Charat Karunayabhuti karuna, karuna means compassion. He, he, the Godhead, Bhagavan Chaitanya, appeared full with compassion for the world, hmm? for everyone in the world. So here, what's going on here? He's Bhagwan. How can he be described like this as having compassion, given what we've just discussed, and feeling for the suffering of others? Hmm? Another dilemma it goes further. Hmm? And many, many descriptions, got repeatedly throughout descriptions of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, emphasizing his compassion, his compassion, his compassion. And of course, the simple answer to this is that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Bhagavan, but he's a very peculiar manifestation of the Godhead. He is the Swayam Bhagavan himself, the avatari, the source of all descents, all avatars, all descents of the Godhead, all different faces of the Godhead. He's unique in that sense, but he's unique in another sense as well, what is that? That he's appearing, as we said earlier, Bhagawan, Svayam Bhagawan, in the form of a bhakta. Hmm? In the bhava, with the feeling of a bhakta. In experiencing life from the perspective of the bhakta. And which bhakta, of course, is the love of Radha, so the full face of bhakti. Hmm? Is, uh, is is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is about, although he's Bhagavan. And therefore, hmm, he is readily compassionate as any other devotee is, and, and more so. So it's because of his vantage point as a Bhakta that he's been described as compassionate. And we see in the literature, for example, in Chaitanya Charitamrita, examples of both. He's Bhagavan and he's Bhakta. So sometimes... He's in the bhava of a, bhag- a bhagwan of God, and sometimes in the bhava of a bhakta, and the reason for that, of course, is that he is Bhagawan trying to be a bhakta, and it's not easy to be a devotee. <laughs> has to, there's some effort that has to be taken, hmm? especially to be, to to take as he, for him, to being the, the, c- the central object of love, to shift his position. Hmm? It's like, it's difficult for us. We have a, we have a, a little bit of a different problem, but our focus is, from time immemorial, uh, being the enjoyer, seeing things, as if the world revolves around us for our enjoyment. Hmm? Self-centeredness. Now, to move out of the center, this is like, whoa. It's like to take the foundation out of the building, the jack of the building. Take the foundation, hold it together, and put another foundation in and change the foundation. It's, it's major work. Hmm? to change your angle of vision. This is what we're involved in. Busy, busy, busy. There's so many things, but we're really involved in trying to change the angle of our vision. Um, so you can see it's, it's not easy. Habits formed in youth are difficult to overcome, so we're going for a long time, moving with this particular perspective, and now to, to change that from being the enjoyer to being the servant. So for Bhagwan, I mean, it's a little bit different problem, but it's in in a sense. He's the center, he's the enjoyer forever and for everyone, to change that. Hmm? Radharani's looking at him like, I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> That's really you wanna do that? You wanna you wanna take my perspective, see yourself from my perspective? What's that gonna to do to you? What will the yogis think, you know, the uh, people who worship you? Uh, this is gonna be confusing for the world. Hmm? And will it how will look how You can see as he made the adjustment, if you will, if you follow Chaitanya Charitamrita, and it started to be, to really gain ground, as it is in Jagannath Puri, what happened to him? His transformation, he couldn't contain that. It's the extraordinary ecstasies that make him notable and a person in the religious history of the world. Nothing, uh, no other no, saint, if you will, if you want to look at him as a box, as a saint, like that. Mm-hmm. So it's such extraordinary. And the Goswamis, of course, they, as I said, they located him on the sacred map of the scriptures. They identified, this is the Mahabhav, and they showed, this is the Jwalita, Ujwalita, the, 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 in, the, in, the, in, the, in the inflamed form, all the sattvika kebabs manifesting at once, and so on. As he would in Yatra and so on, and at other times, and this is all how the, the influence of Radha upon Krishna when Krishna is trying to, I should say, experience himself from her vantage point. So we find in the Leela that sometimes he is in the in the in the mood of Bhagwan and sometimes in the in the mood of the Bhakta. As the time goes on more and more in the mood of the bhakti and his life is complete with the end of Chaitanya Charitamrita, His mission is complete. He says, Asli Shiva Guru Mat Para. Krishna thus says Radharani spoke this verse. Hmm. Chaitanya Chaitanyachary is complete. Krishna has taken has experienced himself from the vantage point of Radha hmm. and made that opportunity available for others through the dispensation of the chanting and so forth. But the point I'm making is that in the Leela we find sometimes him expressing himself as Bhagawan and sometimes as Bhakta. Let's look at an example of both. Dev Dutta was a famous devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one of his eternal associates. Hmm? And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came upon him and he was filled, Dev Dutt, with compassion. Hmm? And he told Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, here's how I'm thinking, that if you would please take all the karma and all the suffering of every soul in the universe and give it to me, put it on me, that they could be all delivered hmm, and enter the Leela of Krishna, hmm, then I'll feel my life is, 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 is meaningful. Hmm? This is how he was thinking. All, and, and such was his standing. in Bhakti, he thought, "I can take it. Give me all their karma, and put it all on me." It's kind of like you know, he was ready to be crucified for the for the sake of everyone else. It's a kind of a parallel. Bhakti Siddhanta said, "This is beyond Jesus." In his commentary, "This is beyond Jesus." Hmm. He's we to take the suffering of every 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 being in the universe. Mm. Um, in the multiverse, I guess. So, when Mahaprabhu said he was very much pleased with the mood of Vasudeva Bhant, he was very much pleased uh, to see the compassion of his devotee. This tells us that, especially in Gourli, that this compassion of the devotee is something that we have to come to and experience in the pursuit of bhakti-rasa. You cannot pass through the compassion and attain bhakti-rasa. So this should, this will, will come first. Hmm? Krishna says even in in Bhagavatam, in Kapila to Devahuti, those who worship me hmm, on the altar but don't have compassion for others, huh, their worship to me when they make offerings to me, it's like throwing ashes on the on the fire or something like that, or pouring uh, putting out the fire. If you started the fire to make a sacrifice then you pour it put it out. Hmm? Bhakti Vinod said what? Jivedoi Krishna Nam. Sarva The essence of Dharma is two things kindness towards all beings and chanting of Krishna Nam. Hmm? So Basudev had this universal compassion such a desirable quality from a human perspective because we're all suffering so someone that is compassionate they're really a noble uh, person an attractive uh, person and, and we see this in, in all types of sadhus of course we see this kind of uh, compassion it, it's, it's very attractive I mean it, it, the whole movements start out of it Buddha just sat under a tree as I said the other day and there's millions of Buddhists and they're never going to go away Because one guy sat under a tree. (laughs) And what happened to him? And he began to speak what happened to him and showed his compassion and so forth. All these saints, none of them are self-promoting. Mahabharata was not self-promoting. If anyone said, oh, you're a Vishnu, he would cover his ears. Moving away, try to appreciate this point. We raised it briefly the other day. They're all trying to move away from any kind of self promotion. And they are the most widely promoted and celebrated persons in the world. There's two ways to become famous in the world really famous to become a great saint or to become a demon. You have your, you know, your Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Hitler. <laughs> this is the way. Otherwise, he doesn't. you, you got to be, in other words, you've got to be absorbed in, 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 in godliness. Or ungodliness to be famous, if you're just ordinary either one if God's not in your life against God, immoral, whatever bad
3: or
0: or godly, then you're going to become proportionately well well known hmm? so God, one of the qualities of God is is, is the opulences of God is his fame, so by being in touch with God one way or another, you'll become famous, hmm? Choose the right, the good way. We <laughs> want to become like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, like like Jesus, not like Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin or something like. that. So anyway, mm. compassion, desirable quality. It's the it's 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 inherent in bhakti. Mm. So it must manifest in the bhakta. So Mahaprabhu was very pleased with Vasudeva Dutt's compassion, but in the mood of Bhagwan, hmm, he said. Oh, I'm moved by that. He said, but if one she-goat in a herd of cows is lost, something like that, it's, it's, it's not a big deal. This is his way of saying, out of millions of universes that are described as emanating from the pores of Vishnu, hmm, zillions and zillions of universes, if you liberate one of them, the material life will go on. Hmm? So he expressed some aloofness with regard to the sufferings of the world, it's appropriate to Bhagawan as we've been describing, right? Hmm? In the Bhava of of of, of, of Bhagawan. Now we go to the other extreme, hmm? and we find Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Antyayalila, speaking with Haridas hmm? about the the power, the efficacy of his of his method of chanting, Nam Kirtan. Hmm? And he expresses a concern there that people will that will that it will be sufficient to deliver the people of the world. Hmm? And Haridas replies to him, Oh yes, even if the if the Muslims who are non devotees they chant haram, hmm? which is a Muslim expression for something, without knowing it they're chanting the name and and, and they'll be delivered. So don't worry about that. Hmm? Mahaprabhu was pacified a little bit. He's in the bhava of a bhakta. Hmm? He was thinking of non-devotees. And a type of people at the time who were opposed to the Hindu Dharma often as well. He was concerned about them. Hmm? But Mahaprabhu didn't stop there. He said, that's okay, but what about the insects? And what about the plants? How will they be delivered? Hmm? You see the, the, why he is Mahabharata avatar? You know that insects are suffering, right? What you're not concerned about. <laughs> it was driving Mahaprabhu hmm? in the context of, of being in the Bhava of, of, of Bhakta, to give them bhakti. Mm-hmm. And Haridas said, no, don't, don't worry, he said. He took it to another level. He said that when you chant, even the non-moving living beings, there's a way of saying like rocks hmm? and stones and trees and stuff. He said, that even even the stones, he said, when you, when you chant, you hear an echo? He said, that's not an echo. That's the rocks chanting back. Don't worry, Haridas said, they'll be delivered. Hmm? So such extreme compassion we find in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, illustrating to us what is the secondary nature of a bhakti and how it should arise within us. In the pursuit of, of of praying, so what to speak of fighting amongst ourselves? <laughs> we should we should be kind to all 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 Jivas hmm? if we're growing in bhakti. And so this way we understand. And it, I think it's very appropriate, Rupa Goswami's statement about the quality of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Mahabudhnya, Kurnai most compassionate. He is fully transcendent. He's Krishna Himself. He's mad, totally overwhelmed by bhakti, by Radha's bhakti. He's paying up his respects to that bhakti. He desires to taste that bhakti. In the context of tasting it, he becomes a bhakta. Hmm? And it's now Bhagawan, so the most compassionate form of Godhead. Shiman Goranga Mahaprabhu Kijai. Mahavadanaya yeah. Vathara Kijai. Yeah see si, si, or oh. So any questions? Sounds like it's time for the Arctic now, huh? Any question? Brahma.
2: I've uh, got a couple things. One is that you mentioned that passage from the Bible known as look upon the face of God. And lived or something, in. Yeah, yeah there's an, the single part of that is, accept, is uh, accept those that are of God.
0: Okay, there you go.
2: So that kind of works for us.
0: It works, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So, think, uh, the second the question I have is that you mentioned that uh, Nietzsche says don't experience material suffering. Yeah. Okay, so... I just was reading, uh, Prabhupada was coming across the boat on the and he said that he experienced a heart attack and it was so so painful, extremely painful. Okay, two heart attacks, extremely painful, he says. Right, and then there's also even in the Bhagavad uh, Gita, there's the example of Sanath goes home and covered with sores and everything. And so, where do we get that? Where where do you get that idea that just says don't experience material suffering? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, I, I understand uh, really out, like,
3: yeah. that way that they don't
0: experience pain. Yeah. Well, it's a question of who's in it to sit up. The story of Sanatana was, for the example of Sanatana was different. Actually, um, he had the well, the sores are one thing that he had, but he, he wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't express suffering for them. He he expressed that that if Mahaprabhu embraced him with the open sores on his body, there would be a he thought that would be offensive, offensive to Mahaprabhu. But the other example is that he uh, was called to meet Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and if he went the direct route, which would have brought him there quickly, he would have passed by the, the pujaris and priests of the temple at Jagannath, and he thought himself an outcast, and that, that would, wouldn't be appropriate. So he took the long route, and he went along the beach, and the, the sand on the beach was very hot. And when he arrived to see Mahaprabhu, there were blisters on his feet from the sand, hmm. and so and he was oblivious to that. And Mahaprabhu asked about it. So, you know, whether Prabhupada said Nigussa or Sodmasa, who knows? Or I suppose um, you you could. And I, I'm not opposed to that at all. Have stretched it, it's kind of a yoga maya influence amongst the sadhana siddhas by which they actually feel some pain. They have no attachment, so they're not suffering, but they, they feel some pain and it augments their capacity to be uh, compassionate. Hmm. Um, it's not an argument that Jiva Goswami makes that the nitya siddhas have no experience material suffering. Some people have made that and questioned that. But he doesn't make that. Indeed, he gives Narda Muni as an example of a Nitya Siddha who showed compassion in ways that Bhagavan wouldn't because he doesn't have experience of the suffering when when Narda cursed and in the context of that blessed Manigriva and, and uh, Nalakubar who were acting in an offensive way and they became the trees in the courtyard of Krishna and so on and so forth. So he gives Narda this example and is an a Nitya although he also plays the part of a Sadhana Siddha. So, uh, fair enough, Jiva Goswami doesn't make that point, doesn't raise that point. I have had others kind of try to extend that argument, and I did it a little bit to myself, but I'm, but it's fair to say they may have some experience of it in some way that's in the context of a, of a, of Lila, for example, that may also more readily dispose them towards um, or, or uh, uh, make it more readily possible for them to express compassion appreciate the point. Hmm. What else? Oh, I guess actually also the, the idea of the that you is like a really pretty kind of, kind of a, a rare, it's thought for the most part it's thought that, that when Mahabhu comes they come with him and then they go back and everybody after that is a sadhana siddha and some devotees think of their gurus as siddha and there's a way of thinking about that I suppose you can and it may be advocated by some also mm-hmm. um, and the experience may be that well as far as I know he's always been the brick ever since I met him something like that so fair enough um, but typically mm-hmm. This is the idea. These Nityasiddha associates of Krishna—they've got to be with Krishna. That's the reasoning why, if Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Krishna, they should be there. Hmm? So, if Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was not there, then they shouldn't be there. Is the idea they are wherever they are—they are his entourage. They're like part of his makeup. They are constituted of his of his of his Shakti. Different. So, it's a little bit of a stretch to. Um, Thereafter, uh, look at great devotees as as nityasiddhas rather than as sadhana-siddhas who who become perfect by by dint of their their practice. That's so. The Gorongera, uh, Nityasiddha, says there those who. He was not one of them, Narada. maybe... Hmm? Immediate associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they're all Nityasiddhas. He's commenting about them. It makes sense. Hmm? Um, where Krishna goes, you can't have Krishna without Yeshoda and all these people. So wherever he goes, they are. Prabhupada said Krishna's never alone. Hmm? Um, so we should look to them to see if uh, examples of their uh, suffering or experiencing material suffering, and there's not too many that are. Brought up uh, that I or any that I know of, but at any rate, hmm, it's it's a peculiar leela, no doubt. Hmm, they're in the leela of being sadhakas. as I've often said, Siddha boomi. So it's a land bhumi, where siddhas are playing as sadhakas. So sadhakas do suffer. Hmm, we, so we could say, you could stretch it and say they have some experience by Yoga Maya's arrangement in, in the context of of. Um, Of a leela of sadhana. Mm. Yes?
3: Nitya Siddha, sadhana
0: Siddha. Sadhana Siddha. I I don't know what those are. The terms. Nitya means eternal. So there are associates of Krishna that are eternally liberated. Mm -hmm. Like Nanda, Yasoda, Radharani. Hmm. Siddha means perfect. Okay. And Nitya means eternal. Right. And so these devotees, like Krishna's friends, Subal, Sudam, Krishna's uh, parents, uncles. uh, These are all manifestations of Krishna's Sarup Shakti. They're not Jivas like us, Jiva Shakti. The Jiva Shakti becomes a devotee with the ingress of the Sarup Shakti. But they are wholly constituted of the Sarup Shakti. Hmm? And they are the examples to follow in the Leela, in the different Rasas and so forth. Then you have... With the ingress of bhakti into the life of the jiva, he becomes a devotee and he's a sadhaka or she's a sadhaka and she practices and practice makes perfect. perfect. So siddha means perfect. So They become perfect by practice. Hmm? And so there are these types of souls in the lila and then there are the eternally perfect ones. And the the, the latter, the former follows the latter. Hmm? That's the idea of raganuga. Rag anuga to follow the rag anuga means to follow, follow the rag, wow. the spontaneous attraction of the inhabitants of Vrindavan for Krishna, in different sentiments. Hmm? That we, are, we we learn about that we become attracted to that we we follow in the wake of that. Hmm? That's what rag anuga means. Rag means attachment. Hmm? Anuga means to follow. So the, the spiritual attachment of the devotees for Krishna, that if he goes behind a tree, they're feeling, if their eyes blink, mm. they're missing him. Mm. Mm. That's what we're, we're following after that. We're pursuing that. That's called raganuga, That kind of love of God. Mm. It's very extraordinary. Can I ask one? Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like we have a little time.
3: So, uh, this is a little more personal. So as a, um, a newer devotee, or right, um, I find that uh, my experience is kind of like uh, driving down the highway without windows or a top on the car. So there's a lot of internal resistance or friction. Um, I know enough to hang in there kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, you know, I was wondering if you could just comment on on that, right? Because it stands in contrast to one might what one might otherwise expect to feel chanting the Harinam or you know it's right. well, like a it. kind of a assiduous quality to the practice. If I'm, if that's appropriate or not, I don't know. In other words, that there's a or um, a yagya aspect.
0: Right. Well, the good example is given that if you have jaundice hmm, in India, the, uh, the cure for jaundice is sugarcane. Hmm? Sugarcane is inherently sweet. But if you have jaundice, the sugarcane will taste bitter. Mm-hmm. Hmm? But if you keep chewing on the sugarcane, the jhanas will go away and the sweetness that was there in the cane it will become known. Mm-hmm. So there's a point where in the practice, um, as I said, you know, we're, we're trying to shift the ground here. Hmm?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the influence, the power to shift the ground is, is significant, but you're concreted in at the same time. Hmm? So bhakti certainly has the power to shift the ground, if you will, in our perspective, and angle of vision and, and so forth, and turn us into a servitor, into a lover, hmm? mm-hmm. rather than to a taker, hmm? that, that, rather than being a taker. But we've been a taker for a long time, mm-hmm. hmm? and so our ability to even take advantage of, of bhakti <laughs> hmm, is somewhat inhibited by our past and, uh, and conditioning and so on and so forth. But, you know, drops of water... Wither away the stone it's not going to happen overnight, mm-hmm. and that one should it it may be helpful to be um aware of that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and not it shouldn't be justification for not stepping on the gas but um, but it's a reason why you can't floor it, <laughs> so to speak <laughs> uh, so uh, uh it takes time you know. You have to look. I mean, we're talking about something really, uh, you know, the the, the 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 you know, the greatest adventure here. You know, it, it's it's uh, um, so it will t- take some time. But we, but we take solace in the fact that we have association of other devotees, and um, in their company we're getting, we get. We have, they're empathetic. They're, they're you're not saying in this right now anything that nobody else in this room will. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I wasn't going to ask that, or, you know, I felt like that. So you're not, you, you're, you're new in a sense in our Sangha, but, um, you know, the vast majority of devotees are in a stage of their practice that constitutes a learning curve and there are ups and downs in it. It's called Anishta kriya. First we get some Sangha, and then that, from that comes faith. In the context of the faith, we, we seek good association, in the context of seeking that association, we find someone amongst the devotees who stands out to us. And that person then becomes our guru. And then that guru gives us instructions to chant and to follow and so forth. And, and, and so that becomes our life of bhajan, bhajanakriya. But our, we have an hmm. We have impediments that arise for different reasons. Um, from karma, there are impediments. Good and bad karma. And uh, you know, you might have good karma, a lot of money. It can be an impediment. Mm. Hmm? You might have bad karma and have no money. It can be an right. impediment. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, there are anarthas that arise from offenses that may have been committed in the past. What else? Hmm?
3: Good, so good. Uh, from bhakti itself.
0: From bhakti itself. When you when you plant a, a, a seed, then some weeds may come. Hmm? So when bhakti develops, there may be other, you might get good qualities and then you might get it. some, people might like you and you might get intoxicated by that. Ride the waves of, of that, you know, That's, rather than bhakti. So, so these impediments arise and, and, and they're eradicated at different stages. So when our practice is, is unsteady, our budget is unsteady, by persevering in that, this is this is the yagya part. This is the fire of sacrifice. It's kind of the do or die. You persevere you with your commitments and so forth, and then you come out on the other side, and your practice is steady. Hmm? And what's happened is this anartaniruti. These principal anarthas have let go, let go. Some something's still there, but the principal anarthas have let go, and so you're free to practice, hmm? and they can't get in the way they, some impediments is still there but they're not getting in the way the practice is 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 called nishta fixed from this then comes ruchi taste the practice is driven now by taste not by the head i should do it mm-hmm. i'm convinced i have good strong spiritual intellect now fortified intellect by by, by spiritual instruction I have live according to that and I, so that I, can't, I won't deviate. My practice is steady and it's been it's such for long enough that the basic impediments are cleared. Then, in time, again, taste comes and it's driven by taste. and attachment to bhakti which is characterized by no desire for so I don't have any desire for anything else. Only for bhakti. And then the bhakti becomes thickened. And the taste has an object, taste for bhakti, has an an object that corresponds with the taste. This is the stage of asakti, which means attachment, attachment for Krishna. So Krishna, in a particular way, corresponds to the taste in Sakirasa or madhurya rasa, comes into the life of the devotee. The theological person becomes a real person, and what you thought was a real person, you, has now been fully... um, dismantled, deconstructed. Hmm? with The deconstruction of the false sense of personhood. Hmm? It's just a mental phenomenon. The real person of Krishna and what it means to be a person, really, we're just a facsimile of a person. That's all. Like I said before, a person asked me in Vrindaba on the private, on the, on the side, Orange, I want to ask you a private question. What's that? Is there any real sex life in the spiritual world? I mean, real sex life. I've told this before, of course. And I said, No, you don't understand. There's no real sex life in the material world. (laughs) So, the real person, Krishna, comes in. Then one graduates from Sadhana Bhakti and enters into Bhava Bhakti, the ankur, the sprout of Bhava comes. Yeah, then, then, then it's, the bhakti becomes a, a more of a, a internal life and all of the things we hear about bhakti and power, now see the emotive aspect of bhakti is kicked in prior to that, in sadhana bhakti the active anushilanam, the verb shilanam in Rupa Goswami's definition of uttam bhakti, carries both the, an active component and an inactive or emotive internal component so when bhava-bhakti, when, when we graduate from sadhana-bhakti, bhakti in practice, to bhakti in ecstasy, then the emotive component of bhakti is fully in place. And that's now driving the practice entirely. And then the culture of the bhava is the culture of a, of a personality, inner personality in relation to Krishna. And it culminates in Prema, And then you can take birth in Krishna-lila, and associate with his Nityasiddha devotees and qualify yourself further and then the, the Leela winds up and you enter into the unmanifest lila. this is the progression so it's good to know where to go and it's good to know where you are you want to go here and you are here both <laughs> things and then and you focus your step, not like you're going to step from here to there I'm going to step up there and you know, just step here, and here, and here, and, here. <laughs> and it gradually, 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 gradually. Mm-hmm. And it may not look like it's going anywhere, but a person like myself, my concern is certain foundational building blocks of understanding are in place, conceptually. Maybe even they're not able to practice, but they keep hearing from me that I know that these, it, these foundational sensibilities, samskara for bhakti is coming, it will carry them in, in due course, Hmm. Oh well, Keep keep listening, keep hearing. Hmm. Hearing will be the impetus for chanting. Hmm. Hearing comes first; chanting comes follows that. Hmm. I heard about that. That was interesting. I heard you hear about that. <laughs> Did you hear what they said? <laughs> then the chanting.
1: <laughs>
0: so, anything else? Is an offering made, or I guess they're late. Huh? What time is it? Uh, yeah. six, six, 20, six, 20, so Anything else? Ramsey, nice to see you. And your associate. Nice you. Kalchandu. Yeah. Are you feeling? Nine, yeah, <laughs> Association of devotees is good, huh? You know, I'm happy to see that you've got an associate to live with for a long time. It's good for you, too. Mm-hmm. Your health a little better? Yeah. Good. 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 Yes, Brahma. I'm not, but kind of off
2: topic, but since you have a few minutes. Yeah. So, I read something that Lord Shiva is the Lord of Cannabis. So, <laughs> my question is Lord Shiva the Lord of Cannabis? And yet, uh, why or why not? How,
0: how would you. I've never heard that um, put like that. Um, but. Uh, with regard to Shiva, there are many different manifestations of Shiva. So you have the Tamaguna Shiva and you have Sada Shiva. So the Vaishnavas they look to the higher side of Shiva, hmm? who is uh, who, who's not a smoker, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and he's a worshipper of of Sankarshan Vishnu hmm? and Shiva Lok. Vaishnavana Mita Shambhu, the statement of the Bhagavatam, ba- Shiva is a great Vaishnava, refers to that Shiva and that. Sadashiva has an expression in two expressions in Golok as Gopishwar in the form of a Gopi outside the Rasalila and also as a Gopa. He hmm? desired to experience both, and and so Sankarsha made it possible. So this is the higher side. Hmm? The lower side of Shiva is is um, involved with the, 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 the with the Tamaguna and persons. Influenced by the Tamaguna. So smoking, uh, uh, in, in, like that, forms of intoxication are an influence of, of Tamaguna. Um, you know, I mean, uh, aside from medical uses of herbs and things, that, that that's another, another thing, but for the sake of intoxication. So, you know, intoxication is a distraction from life and trying to alter the picture rather than to deal with it, to escape from it. Hmm? And so it's a manifestation of the tamaguna, and persons in the tamaguna need some. According the Vedic perspective, is that everybody in every guna needs some deity. Hmm? They have some deity in their life. Well, you know, there's some be some progress. So De, Shiva takes that form, and therefore he's depicted sometimes being surrounded by these people that are like, Lord. even he's like troubled by them. But anyway, that you know, <laughs> that's what what he's got. <laughs> and um, they do some weird things, you know, like the, one of the one of the famous stories is the Vrikasura who worshiped Shiva and it, and for what so you, you know, these are stories in the Bhagavatam. with they, there 's a purport to them. He worshiped Shiva and he, he, he performed huge aus- like bodily austerities cut, cutting his skin off cutting his skin off. Like as an offering to Shiva, she was, I better show up before this guy's. Not, there's nothing left of him, you know. Weird, you know. Okay. He was going to
3: finally, offered his head, and then Shiva had to. Appear.
0: He was going to cut off his head, and Shiva finally appeared. So these are the stories of the Bhagavad They have a, they have a significance. Obviously, this is crazy, uh, but in other words, nonetheless, he did some form of worship. So so and, and, and Shiva appeared. So, he said, okay, I'm here. What do you want? He said, I want a benediction. What, what benediction do you want? He said, I want whose ever head I touch will crack. Shiva scratches his own head. Weird. Okay, you got it. I'll give you the benediction. So, then what he did is he tried to touch Shiva's head. crack his head. And Shiva started fleeing from him. And finally, he he, he got, to, got to Narayan and... And Orion protected him and turned, turned to Rikasur and said, hey, wait a minute. You're not, I know you're a bright fellow, but have you, you know, and real spiritual too. Uh, uh, have you considered, how do you know that that benediction even works? And he said, hey, good point.
1: <laughs>
0: you performed all these charities. He came, he said he gave it, but how do you know it works? Good point. And Ryan said, "Touch your head and find out." <laughs> he cracked his own head. <laughs> so this is a story about, you know, the Lord of Cannabis, if you will. And so people can say, "Hey, you know, she was Lord of Cannabis, and so we're into it." You know, so that this is what you're into. That kind of thing. Understand? This is what you're. Where you're going to go with that kind of a perspective? And that's the group that you're going to hang out with. It's not real bright, is, 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 is the point. And it's not very well thought out. Krishna says in the Gita, those who worship the devas are, are less intelligent. The Shiva's a little more than a deva, but but this particular manifestation of Tamaguna aspect, Rudra of, of Shiva, then... Hmm, lower side. So I don't know what their point is in, in making that point, they offer it to Shiva or something, and and smoke, and they're um, not going to get much more out of it than you know, whatever you do get from smoking. What Hon- does it smoke? My hmm? Rufa does not smoke, by the way. Oh yeah, I didn't think that he did. You get what do you get from they smoking a munchies or something? <laughs> we use the same. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Worshiping smoking uh, Didn't you write an article about that?
2: I I did actually. Yeah, with the
0: yeah. A harmonist, yeah, 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 yeah. The wisdom weed. The wisdom weed, yeah. Yeah, I
2: was thinking of writing an article for, you
0: know, Well the, the, the Rastas would do well to, you know, establish a deity of Shiva. I think that would be good for them. There's a place for everything. Mm-hmm. So you think be a good idea. Whether you, to
2: you want to be there or
0: not. That would be better. Than are not, yeah, yeah. And that's the whole the whole Thomasic piranhas. You know, they have these kind of weird things to do, and people get into it because that's like they're attracted to that. That's they that's as, as much as they can yeah, Think of the of the spiritual. So something better than nothing. The piranhas are very very accommodating. Hmm? They're, they're compassionate. <laughs> All right. See, Man Mahaprabhu ki jai, Goruni Mahamata ki jai, Gor ki jai,
3: Gor Premanandey.